In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We are looking at faith in the book of Luke, and we're looking at the nuances of faith. We said with the kids very clearly, faith is trust, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. That's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. But there's some nuances to faith, and we talked about last week about how faith can drive out fear, and I didn't even finish with kind of a key passage that I think in 1 John, it talks about perfect faith drives out fear, and that's, I mean, perfect love drives out fear, and you think about that when being fully and totally accepted and Jesus, that gives us this sense and this confidence to be able to, to do what we've called to do. Now, today's a little bit different. We're talking about popularity, so I'm going to talk through it in a couple different ways and to understand where we're getting at, because I think that's ultimately where we're getting at. Because <laughs> that sentence made no sense, so I'm going to just keep going. So when we talk about being popular, do you, do you like being popular or not? Do you like to go to popular places or not? So this is my, this is my test. This is a hard question, I think, and, and if you're going to go to a restaurant, how many of you like to go to a restaurant that is not popular? Like, this makes you nervous, so I, when, we haven't gone there and yet, but this is, I think, called Sierra. Has anyone been here? I heard it's really good, so are we seeing, I'm seeing nods that this is good. I'm seeing, you've never been there, or you don't think it's good? Okay, all right, so, so I haven't been there. That's the one by Cabela's that looks kind of mysterious, and it's got this rust-covered roof, and it's supposed to be really good. So we thought, okay, this would, be, this would be a great place to take. And so you can look online, and you can see the reviews, and you can say, okay, this is a popular place. People like that. What happens if you save up all your money, and you're ready to go to this nice dinner, and you show up, and nobody else is there? That's a little disconcerting, right? I think if you've ever gone to like a movie, has this happened to anyone? Like you're really excited for a movie and you show up and nobody else is there and you're like, am I the only one who wanted to see this movie? That doesn't feel very good. It's actually a little more exciting if you go to, not the midnight release, I, I mean, I'm in bed by four hours by then, but I mean, like the, one of these movies, you get there and there's kind of a line, there's some excitement and you get in there and you're like, hey, I'm where people are. In, in my mind, that means I'm cool. If I go someplace where other people are, that means I, I'm, I'm making this work. Uh, let me tell you the opposite of that story. So a friend of mine, uh, does anyone, is anyone a Rush fan? All right, so my friend is the biggest Rush fan, and by biggest I mean only Rush fan that's not a bass player. That's what, so, and so he actually has a listening room. So imagine the day, this is Roll the Bones, the album. I actually sent him a text, he was a pastor. I sent him a text because he told me this story. And the story is, in 1991, he is super pumped. I think he's in high school, he would have been like a, junior in high school or a senior in high school this album comes out and he wants to go see the new and get the new rush album so he's super excited about it he goes to the local best buy and something happened so he couldn't get there uh, early so he, he you know missed the line so he get in and he shows up and he goes hey do you still have any and they go have any what and he's like the new rush album roll the bones and they what and so they push him from department to department. Eventually, he runs into the guy who is the manager of the CDs. And he goes, well, I haven't even opened the shipment yet. So then he goes to the back room, and they, he goes with him. Like, he lets him open the box with him. They start thumbing through. My friend was so excited that they still had some that he bought 50%. 50% of the CDs that they got. He bought one. So he thought this was like the greatest release party of all time. He shows up at Best Buy, and Best Buy bought two CDs, thinking that this is the, this is the demand for his rush. So how do you feel at that point when he goes to his listening room and he's listening to it? It's not like he stood in line like Burkles would make me do. So I'll tell you another music story. So Burkles was just here. Uh, Mark Burkles is a huge fan of the KBCO Studio C album. Has anyone listened to these? 
All right, he's a huge, huge fan. It says, like, this is epic. We got to get up early. We got to stand in line. We got to get it the day it's released. I'm like, oh, okay, this is what you do. And I don't, I, I, you know, I make $1,500 a week. So I'm spending approximately 1% of my income on this CD, which was not a great idea. So I go there. I stand in line with Burkles. It's 6 a.m. You know, they don't even open the Fry's Electronics until like 9. So we sit there and it's cold. We're drinking coffee. This is a big deal. And, you know, we get a CD and I listen to it. I'm like, oh, that was pretty good. I, I go back to Fry's for something else, like to get a cord, like three days later, and they still had stacks of them. I'm like, what? He's like, well, it was limited release. You know, sometimes I run out. That's what he, that was his threat to me. But I started to wonder, did I just waste my time because I could have just gone three days later and gotten it, right? So do you like things to be popular or not? It depends, right? So here's another example. Um, does anyone recognize this musician? Chris Stapleton? Okay, so... It, I was talking, to this. he was a big deal about, uh, he might still be a big deal, I don't track it that tightly. Uh, so the stuff I listen to the Spotify is like cold for me or whatever, cultivated for me, so then it's all not super exciting. But Chris Stapleton was a big deal at the Grammys. He did a bunch of duets, I think, with Bonnie Raitt or something like that, and he was a big deal. And a friend of mine who goes to this church who has an awesome beard that often plays in the drums. He's sick today, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. But he, he said, he's talking about Chris Stapleton, and I'm like, oh, have you heard this song? This, was, this is a big deal. So we start playing this song. He's like, yeah, I know the song. I liked him back when I lived in, you know, California. You know, I kind of found him, and this was his thing, and then he loved this guy. And he goes, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, now everybody likes him. So i got to find somebody else. Like, that was the it. So, like, if you are an early adopter, there is something to that. So there's this one aspect that says we want things to be popular and liked, and this other aspect says we don't want to be like the Rush CD where no one cares about what you do. But there is this sense that says maybe I'm onto something really cool, right? And this is the kid's worst nightmare. Kids are always changing the way that they talk about things. Adults really don't have slang, but kids do. This just happened. I was teaching Bible basics, and there's a teen girl in it with, um, with her mom, and she said some phrase, and I'm like, I have no idea what that means. So then she explained it, and I said, I'm not going to say it out loud, because at that point, if I understand how the phrase is properly used and what it means, it's not cool anymore. You know that, right? And she goes, yeah, that's about right. So, so this is, so if I start saying, like, that's lit or off the hook or whatever, the cool length, this is why I don't do that, because my kids are now shrinking in their chairs. I don't know where my daughter's sitting, but she's getting more and more embarrassed that this would be. But that happens, right? Remember, like, Facebook used to be cool at one point, and then it was like MySpace, then became Facebook, and then as soon as my mom started using Facebook, I shouldn't say that because my mom listens to my sermons, uh, then you're like, oh my gosh, this is not cool anymore. Like, now what? <laughs> like, what, what is happening? This all happens with popularity, and you're wondering, am I going down the right track, right? And, and the way that we test some of that stuff is we look a little bit to our left in our peripheral vision, we look a little bit to the right and say, is, is the group of people going in this general direction so I know I'm not crazy? And the same thing, especially this is true with, uh, when we're talking about truth, and this is what happens 2,000 years ago. It's not any different. They're talking about truth, and this is, uh, they went through the towns and villages, Jesus teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. So as you understand that, it'll talk about that way in the Gospels. Jesus resolutely sets out to Jerusalem, it'll say in another section. He is making his way to Jerusalem knowing that I have to go die on the cross. So he's making his way to Jerusalem, and someone asks him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Which is a legit question, right? But usually that's not how we ask it. Usually we ask it kind of a negative way. So imagine you just merge with another company, you have a, a, and they say there's going to be some layoffs. What is your question? You, usually you're not saying, like, are a few going to be saved? You're like, am I going to be okay, 
right? So the, the storm is coming, and we know the hurricane's coming to the thing. We're wondering, like, is it going to hit? What kind of effect is this going to have? We're wondering what kind of numbers we're dealing with. So in school, most of you did not do well today. And then what are you thinking immediately in your head? But how did I do, right? So this is all this guy is wondering is, okay, when I make a glance to the left and a glance to the right, when we talk about salvation, and who is going to be saved and with God in heaven. This guy's wondering if the crowd and the mass is going this direction, if I look to the left and right and there's people there, am I in a good spot? Does this make sense? Or, you know, is everyone going to be saved or just in, in the only guys who go to hell are like the ones who take up two parking spots or Raiders fans? Like, is that, is that really what, is this where we're at or is it like, is it get narrow and narrow? And I want you to ask this question as we go through Jesus' response. Does he actually answer the question? So he says, are only a few going to be saved? And here's Jesus' response. He said that I make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're picturing looking into the kingdom of heaven and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and will take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Does he actually answer the question? I don't think he really does. But this is what Jesus does say. He goes, okay, here's what's going to happen. He's like, I got it. it, is, it are, you know, it's just going to be a few. There's going to be a lot of people. What is going to happen when it comes to salvation? And Jesus basically says, okay, it's really, really hard. And people will come from the east, the west, the north, and the south and take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. So, I mean, that essentially he says, okay, here's what you need to know. There's going to be the prophets there. Obviously, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would be really crazy if they didn't make it. They're going to be there, and then people from all different walks of life are going to be there. So you don't have to worry about that. It's not just the Jewish people. It's not just the Gentiles. It doesn't matter what you look like or what you feel like or what um, your background. It does not matter. People like you are going to be in the kingdom of heaven, right? That's good. Good news? Okay, that's good news. Uh, that's good news. So he's saying this is super positive, but does he answer the question, how many people are going to be there? This is the last part. It says the humble are going to be there as well. His question was, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? I don't think he really does. But I think we have an understanding of what really is going on. When it comes to salvation, this is not like a mass of people that are going in the right direction. If you look in the book of Matthew, it talks about the same verse, right? The word here is like strive when he goes to this next section. Make every single effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try and will not be able to. He's saying this is reality. That there's a whole lot of people who think they're going down the right way, who think they understand what's going on, who think that they're going towards the kingdom of God, but the reality is they're not. Because the door to get in there is really, really narrow, like only one person gets through, namely Jesus. And there's only one way to get through there, which is Jesus. How does Jesus talk about it? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I am it. So Jesus is essentially saying, I don't, don't worry about all the other people. Worry about yourself right now. Where are you at? When it comes to salvation, 
He's saying you've got to push and you've got to strive and you've got to do every conceivable thing to make it because most of the people are not going in the right direction. It says it a little bit differently. Uh, Book of Matthew, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Okay, so that clarifies it a little bit, but what are we actually saying? When I was a kid, I tried to understand this. How do you understand this? Like, that wide is the, great, the, wide is the gate and all these people are going down the wrong way. How do you understand that? As a kid, I just thought that's all the naughty people. Right? So as a kid, they would read this passage, and I'm like, those are, all the, those are all the people that aren't doing the right things. These are the people who are not, like, paying attention at Sunday school. These are the people who are, because those are the worst people all the time. They're in Sunday school, but they're not paying attention. Like, this is as bad as it gets. And, and all I could think about is, like, okay, i got to make sure i got to do the right thing. i got to do the right thing, do the right thing, and say the right thing, and be at the right thing, and, and, and sacrifice just enough. And you start to wonder, as a kid, did I do enough? Did I say enough? Did, was I committed enough? To, to make sure that I'm going down the narrow door instead of the wide door that leads to destruction. That's not a very positive place. I mean, as a kid, I just pictured like this drop coming off this wide highway, this super highway, and like all the naughty people are just falling off. And then way to the side is like this tiny little door. To understand this, let me ask it this way. I, I just think about that. Who are we talking about? I found this funnel. So I'm pretty excited about this. I looked online, I found a funnel, and then I just had to white out all their information and put my own information. So this is how it worked. So we have this idea that sometimes when you have this uh, as funnel, as it gets more and more, it gets more and more uncomfortable, the less people follow and do what you think and believe. Okay, would we agree with that? I mean, if you have a, a certain thing, I mean, it, I, I made a joke about the Raiders fan, but I mean, seriously, if you're downtown Denver and you have a Raiders thing, you're, you're in the minority, you're going to be uncomfortable, right? So... This is, my, this is my chart. This is very technical. This is scientific. Um, most people eat. So this is the widest group of people when you talk about eating. And then um, of those people, the majority of them would be omnivores, which means they eat whatever, right? I mean, there's some, there's like probably, and then the next level down would be kids who only eat chicken nuggets. That's like the next level down. But what would we say? Like if we're just going to make this simple chart, most people eat, and then we get to omnivore, and then we get to Vegetarian, so I don't know if we have any vegetarians here. I'm sure we do. If you have some vegetarian, I'm guaranteeing that if you're a vegetarian, at times you felt pretty uncomfortable because someone is like, why are you a vegetarian? Why would you do that? That's not what most people do, right? So most people eat, and most people eat everything, and so why would you just be specific about this particular diet, right? So if you think the vegetarians are uncomfortable, we get down to vegan. So if you're vegan, this is even more specific and it gets more and more uncomfortable when you're trying to describe and you're trying to find accommodations and you try and function. I don't know. I'm, I don't want to, people are going to get mad. I, I have no idea who's a vegan, who's not a vegan, who's vegetarian or, or whatever. Does this make sense? Okay. So when you think of how people view God, and we did a chart that's similar, most people believe in God. That's like 97% of the human population believe that there's a God, right? This is not a narrow belief. So if you just go to a party and you say, yeah, I believe in God, that is no big deal. This would be a really unusual party if you were in the minority because you believed in a God. Make sense? Like, that's no big deal, right? You could go at work and you could say, wait, as a nation, what do we say? In God we trust. Like, it's on our money. This is, people aren't, there's a few people, right? What is it called? I, there's an organization that's trying to get religion out of all things. But, I mean, this is the majority of people. 97 plus percent of people believe in a God. So, if we want to get a little bit more specific that would make you unique on this planet, we'd say you believe in one God. 
That's not everybody. I mean, that's, there's a lot of people who would say there's multiple gods. If you're Hindu, they have like 300 million gods or something like that. It's really like this vast, vast number of gods. So now you're getting specific. So if you said to someone, this is getting more uncomfortable, you're in a conversation with someone who is Hindu, and they say, I believe in God, and you say, yeah, I believe in the God. And they're like, whoa, there's lots of gods. And no, there's one God, right? So this is now becoming uncomfortable. What happens if you said, I believe, not only in one God, because Muslims could say that, uh, the uh, beliefs in a God could be Mormon. So now we get down to one God, so that's really not even Mormon. So now that could be Muslim, It could be, which is going to pass Christianity, they say, in 2050. So this is the majority of people. What happens if you say, I only believe in the God of the Bible? There's one God, it's the God of the Bible. Like getting narrower and narrower? Okay. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. On the list so far, how do people, and many, 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 many people believe that you get right with God? If you do a survey of all these people, this is the majority of people, and you said, how do you get to God? What would the answer be? Leave a pretty good life. And I think what they're talking about in Matthew and what they're talking about in Luke and where Jesus says, like, people are... Did you see how scary that was? Like they got there and they could not understand how they, did, they were not in God's kingdom. I think the confusing part is not that they're all the naughty people. Most of the people I know are super nice. Like if you go around in the streets, like uh, most of the people you know, are they nice? The people you work with, the people you see at the store, the people you see wherever, they're nice, good people. Like it's not like you're like naughty, 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 naughty. I mean, that happens once in a while. But not very often, right? If you went to a prison, you could say, this is, these are not great people. But I would guess even in a prison, there's super nice people. The thing when it's saying this wide, wide road has nothing, I think, to do with their behavior. It's this mindset that says, in order to get to God, this is all I have to do. I lead a pretty good life, and God's going to let me in. And so the thing that we're battling against, the thing that we're battling against when you're talking about this very, very difficult thing when you're talking about faith is that we're stepping into a world, and we have to say, I'm going to just lay, get rid of all my own attributes. And when I stand and look before God, it's not going to be what I do or what I say or I'm doing the right things. You're saying, God, I'm going to let all that go and I repent of all these things and I trust only in you. If you talk about the last thing, what would it be? Salvation through Christ alone. That door is so, so narrow. And all the nice people that you meet, almost all of them, if you'd meet them and talk to them, and you'd say, how do you get close to God? It's a small, narrow door that God says, work as hard as you possibly can. And you're not working against the world. I think you're working against your own flesh that says, I am good enough. I have done enough. I, God, you've got to look good on me. It's narrower and narrower and narrower. Let me tell you another story. If some of you are science, my dad's a science teacher, so was a science teacher, he's retired. So Nicholas Copernicus, could you imagine being at that time when he was the first one to say, like, this is a heliocentric, a heliocentric universe, like the first one to say, like, the Earth is not the center? Like, what kind of, like, on that chart, it would go down, like, all the way down to the point. So all the smart people you know say, this is a stupid idea. And he has to say, I still believe that this is true. So for 30 years, he studies this, and he writes, and he does research, and he wrote a book called Revolutions that was, uh, the church said you cannot say this. The church at that time, the Vatican said that you can only believe that the earth is the center of the universe. And so it's on his deathbed when he finally sees this published document. That's what the, that's what the story is. He sees the revolutions finally. And he didn't publish it because he felt like he had more stuff to do. So eventually he dies, right? 
So his publishing, this goes on. This is this illegal book called Revolution. So other scientists start to read this, and some of them, one guy named is Giordano Bruno. He's a mathematician. He believes this. This is in the 1600s. He believes that, and he said, you know what? I'm doing the math, and I think this is actually true. Giordano Bruno was burned at the stake. Galileo, uh, he's the one who discovered the moods of Jupiter, so he's looking and he figures out that there's moons around Jupiter, and he starts doing the math, and he starts to say, I remember what they said, uh, what Copernicus said. I think he's actually right. The church came to him and said, you recant of what you're saying, otherwise the same thing's going to happen to you that happened to Bruno. And so Galileo says, all right, all right, yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that, right? So I don't believe that. By 1700, most of science believed that the, the center of the universe was the sun. Why do I bring that up? Because just because something popular does not mean that it's true. And I think as a Christian, this is the hardest, hardest thing. When you just take a look at your own faith, it would be way, way easier. It doesn't take a lot of faith to do what everybody else is doing. But when you think about as a Christian, what does faith look like? What does it mean to step out? Faith is when you're saying, in spite of the mass of people going this direction, I'm going to read what God says and I'm going to go a different direction in spite of the mass of people saying this is how it operates in this world and this is how God looks at people, you say, actually, God says this. In spite of the mass of people who says this is how you parent and this is how you work and this is how you talk and this is how you look at sexuality and this is how you look at all these things, God is saying this is what real faith is. Narrow is that door that says I'm going to lean and trust in what God says. As a pastor, I don't think that's super easy. How do you think my friend felt about something as dumb as a CD when he got there and no one really wanted the CD that he wanted? There's going to be a lot of days, and I think there's a lot of days collectively as Christians where we look around and say, man, it would feel great if everybody believed what we believe, but that's not reality. Reality is you're almost always alone. And that's where Jesus comes to us in faith and says, I'm going to build you up. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And just as he went alone to the cross, he says, I will bring you alone through that narrow gate to enjoy heaven with those from the east and the west and the north and the south forever. Amen. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we look at faith, it is a challenge. And we want things to be easy. And easy is following the way of everybody else. And sometimes we have to take a step back and look at our own life. And we look in our peripheral vision and we say, am I going the right direction? And through your word, oftentimes you say you're going the wrong way. And through that, help us to repent. Help us to lay out our own uh, grasp on our own good works that say that we have some chance to go near you. Uh, and help us follow a road way less traveled, a, a road that makes us uncomfortable, a road that feels, makes us feel alone, but know that we're not walking alone. Instead, you walk with us because you are the one who, you, when we confess these sins, you take those all away and you give us a purity that's not based on what we've done. You give us a purity that's based on what you have done. Uh, help us to live that life and help us to be encouraging to another. This is why it's so important to have a community of believers because the world has a whole different idea to hold this on, this simple truth that salvation comes through you alone. We ask this in your name. Amen.